Hey there, thank you for tuning in to How to Live the Podcast, where we have real, meaningful, and fun conversations with people who inspire us, and sometimes just with each other. We are your hosts, Jess and Steph Dallon, and this week is very special because we've partnered with Virgin Australia Melbourne Fashion Festival to deliver you an audio experience of the festival wherever you are in the world. We'll be chatting to designers, stylists, and entrepreneurs about the secrets of their success, how they've built their careers, and so much more. So you've tuned into a really exciting episode today because we have something a little bit different for you. Today we have on Yanni Giovannoglu, who is the trend specialist at WGSN for Australia and New Zealand. He has over 20 years experience in the fashion industry in production, styling and brand consulting. And he even launched his own label straight out of uni. wanted to chat about top man yeah top <laughs> shop we thought that's where we could start because that's okay. where you and i started I know. all those years ago i know so how long were you actually a stylist at top shop well initially i kind of started off just kind of working a department and then eventually i moved into personal shopping so i think all in all probably two years before i left maybe or just under so were you guys top man and top shop yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and I was top, top shop. shop. Yeah. Oh, rivalry. Yeah, well, <laughs> sort of, sort of. No, not rivalry. <laughs> I remember I used to like you so much. I was yeah, saying to totally Stephanie, like, it's really funny because there are so many great people that worked there with us. Yeah. I feel like we were there at such a good time and totally. I still have so many like great contacts from there even the fact that like you and I knew each other and we we keep bumping into each other since then at different events and things and it's kind of nice I feel like we've sort of seen each other grow up a little yeah I definitely feel like that was like the start of a lot of our fashion careers there and then it just kind of progressed and it was a pretty cool place to work I mean I remember they like really encouraged me to like go out and network and they were like Mm. we want you to be at this many events per month and stuff like that which is pretty cool and innovative in a retail space. It was totally new to retail at the time. That's the thing. And that's what was so exciting because you were part of this hype and it was just like, wow. Everyone was aspired to work there. It was like working at Empire Records, you know, like. Yeah. Which is such a fun time in retail. And now that I'm thinking about it, it's so sad. So that different, that stuff isn't it? kind of doesn't exist. I know. Cause mm. it was like, remember when you used to go to London and you go to Topshop Oxford Circus yeah. and we all yes. heard about how they had this like styling suite yeah. with their stylist And there. I feel like the personal shoppers there were famous. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, they were really the were pushing for that and I mean what other retail space could you walk into and get an outfit and get styled and get a tattoo while you're at it and all mm. of that totally get your and nails done yeah <laughs> really had everything yeah now you're at WGSN which we yeah. love seeing you guys around and we have come to just totally love WGSN but for people who might not know what it is, we would love you to give a little explainer. Sure. It's a funny question because whenever I do get asked that, I'm like, oh God, how do I start? Where do I begin? But essentially, we started out in 1997 as predominantly like a, uh, a platform of fashion images for fashion clients. So it was just like a research resource. Kind of like Pinterest or yeah, Tumblr yeah. for industry? Yeah, pretty much. It was just like, here's some inspiration. But over the years that grew and we, our team grew. So we've got something like 200 or 250 editors around the globe at the moment, all specializing in their different areas. So you've got denim editor and women's wear and so on. And they spend X amount of months out of the year traveling, going to trade shows, looking at catwalks and building their research for their respective areas. And a lot of the editors, so for example, our activewear editor, Claire Varga, used to be a creative director for Reebok. 
So everyone's worked in their industry. They understand the product, what the requirements of designers. And so what we do as a result is we have several platforms of different intelligence around catwalks and trends and materials and textiles and colours as well as themes. And we also do our own forecasts. So we look two to three years ahead of season and what's going to be in in terms of the aesthetics, the mood, the materials. And we do that for various industries. So anything that requires design, ranging from packaging to clothing to footwear, accessories. I mean, I talk to clients about food one day and then the next I'm talking about fashion. So it's kind of crazy. But yeah, people subscribe and then they get that intel and use that to guide them throughout the season and throughout their years. Basically, you guys can tell the future. Like that's how I think of it. It is futurism for sure. And you're often, really often right. Yeah. And and look, there's no crystal balls involved. It's a lot of hardcore research and looking at patterns basically and looking at the way the world influences everything that we do, whether it be politics or social media or the economy. Yeah. It's pretty amazing concept for people to grasp as well because I feel like they just think we're all out here like creating things and like coming up with our own ideas, but everything stems from something. Definitely. And I remember the first time I heard of WGSN, I was actually at uni. I think it's common for like some unis that are creative to have like a across the board WGSN subscription. So they just like give you access. And Mm -hmm. it was the funnest thing ever for me and my friends to do on break, just sit in the computer lab and like sift through WJSN and be like, ooh, what are we going to be wearing next summer or whatever, (laughs) which is cool. And I actually studied fashion and textile merchandising at RMIT and I feel like at the time WGSN and trend forecasting was just the be-all and end-all, like the absolute... (laughs) It was the holy grail. It was. And I feel like that would be like someone who studied that, a dream job. I know for me, I definitely had fantasies about it. I'm not going (laughs) to lie. So what did you kind of do in the lead up? What did your career look like that landed you at WGSN? Well, it's funny because I um, pretty much worked in fashion for as long as I've sort of worked, I guess. I mean, I've had some weird jobs before that. Um, So have we. (laughs) (laughs) I saw a girl opening up a Suzanne store the other day, like a teenager, and I was like, that used to be me. Wow. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I've worked in retail extensively over the years in different capacities. And that was kind of my starting point, I guess, after I attended fashion school. I did RMIT clothing production, the Brunswick campus. And, um, you know, I was passionate and I loved fashion and it was just so amazing and everybody wanted to do it and I just kind of felt in my element. But also I hated technicalities and I'm very much a practical person so I like to get out there and do it. So when it came to pattern making, I was like, "Uh -uh. uh-uh, I'm going to hire a pattern maker when I have to do this. I'm not doing this. (laughs) (laughs) I hated pattern making glass. Yeah, it was the worst for me. And so I ended my year there and then I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to just do my own thing. I'm going to work in retail. And then I had a little studio at home and I was just practicing and cutting and draping and doing stuff that way. So I sort of started designing and making little one-off pieces, which I was selling in little boutiques. And then I got spotted at a nightclub wearing one of my T-shirts and got asked to do a fashion show. And then from there, I ended up doing what was then the Rosemount Australian Fashion Week as the new generation designers. So I was up there with like... Michael Lasordo and Dion Lee and I read that. No really way! It was quite funny. Oh my gosh! Oh, wait, kind of so Rosemont Australia Fashion Week was that? What's Mercedes Benz yes. now? Australia Fashion Week? Oh, crazy! Yeah. So in Sydney, yeah. So cool. So yeah, so there was that, and then 
after that, I sort of put the, the label to rest eventually at one point. We were doing really well, but for financial reasons, we're like, nah, I'm done. I was 25. I was like, I'm going to have fun. My friends are traveling and here I am like designing and working hard. That's how I feel some days. Yeah. <laughs> well, at the time, yeah, it was just kind of I wanted to explore life a little bit more. So I started working in retail and then with that, I eventually moved on and um, I started taking interest behind the scenes, which is where WGSN came into the picture because I was like, is there trend forecasting in Australia? And then I started looking around and surely enough, there was pretty much two main players in Australia at the time and that was StyleSight, which was a commercial sort of point of view on trend forecasting. So it was a little bit more commercial and it was a startup based in New York. So I applied for WGSN initially and I didn't sort of hear back or I didn't quite make it. And I was like, then Starsight was like, we'd love to take you. So I went with Starsight, which eventually got bought over by WGSN. So <laughs> no way. I ended up by default. <laughs> and then six That's years amazing. later. Yeah, oh my God. So it's been a pretty epic ride. And get, having worked for two different forecasting agencies at the time was incredible to be able to see the differences. The overview that I kind of see of WGSN is you've got this online platform that industry can subscribe to and access. And through that, you guys give them all this info about trends and things. And then you also have a lot of conferences. Yes. Because we've been to a couple before and you'll have like a whole day where you present on all of the trends in like fashion and marketing and everything. Is that right? Are those yeah. It's like, like your Super Bowl. Yeah, it's <laughs> the Oscars or the Super Bowl for us. Yeah, so we do that throughout the globe with our different offices because we're spread throughout. But yeah, that's one of our big ones where we get to bring our clients together. So you're a trend specialist. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a bit of an overview? Like what does a week in your job look like? Mm. No week is the same, that's for sure. So it definitely keeps busy. And as I said, like I can go from talking to a supermarket about emerging flavours and packaging. Emerging flavours. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. so cool. Which is obscure in itself to then talking to, you know, fashion retailers or marketing teams about strategy and so on. So a regular day in the office, I'd arrive, check in my emails and within my emails, the there'll be several requests from different clients, you know, whether that be, okay, we're, we're just about to start spring, summer 21, and we want to know, we want to really focus on colours. So could you come in and talk to us about, you know, spring, summer 21 colour and what that means for women's wear. So I'd do that, for example, with a client, or it might be that someone's like, so what's the new fruit or what's the new animal that's really trending? <laughs> you know, questions oh like that. Oh my God. How does an animal trend? <laughs> they do if you think about it. Like, remember yeah. sloths really had true. their time. Exactly. True, yeah. Okay. Exactly. So I see you know, it. And like really... dogs, kind of like sausage dogs are everywhere at the exactly, moment. Exactly. You must have known about that one years ago. <laughs> so yeah, there's all sorts of kind of obscure requests that come through from clients. And then it might be a case of collecting research for another client. So someone might be working on swimwear shapes, for example, for next season. So they want you to sort of delve into the platform and dig up some stuff for them. So again, you sort of do that. Or if someone's working on a campaign and the theme is this or that, then you dig in and try and find research around consumer or market examples of people who are doing that and what that looks like. That I totally understand because I just kind of do that internally as well by mm -hmm. going onto WGSN myself or mm -hmm. like business of fashion or something like that. But so you actually do that for the brand, yeah, like I that mean, initial research. Totally. I mean, there's clients who don't necessarily have time, they're time poor. And so they don't, they can't always go onto the platform or they're always doing other things. So they'll reach out to me and I'm their sort of go-to person for that. Oh. So yeah, with their subscription, they sort of have access to someone like myself to help them out and assist them throughout the year. Oh, that's so cool. What an awesome job. Yeah. So you get to, to really understand a business and what they're about and how they work, how fast, how slow, what their requirements are and 
Yeah. So when we were kind of talking about how trends come about, we find it so fascinating because we know that the mainstream fast fashion brands look to the big fashion weeks, the big designers on the runway to kind of come up with their color palettes and their fabrications. Mm -hmm. It's kind of funny though, because when you do look at the big runways and they have all like the biggest designers on the runways, Mm -hmm. still all of their collections kind of talk to each other. They do have similarities. Maybe it's like a Mm colour or a fabrication or a theme even. And those end up becoming the trends, obviously, that you guys pick out of it. Yeah. 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 But like how does that initial thing happen where they're all (laughs) – it's like as if there's an idea in the air, like Elizabeth Gilbert says, and they all got implanted with similar ideas. (laughs) Yeah, it's so weird. Something in the air. It's that age-old question of, you know, the chicken or the egg, what came first kind of thing, you know looking at it there are major things that are happening out there in the world that you know whether you're subconsciously aware of it or whether you are aware of it it's there it might be for example in the current political climate or it might be 2020 as we've entered with you know uh, bushfires all the plagues you know all the viruses etc this kind of stuff begins to shape our thoughts and our minds. So, for example, you know, the way 2020 has come in so hardcore with sustainability and environmental issues at the helm and all of that, there's a lot of fear going on in people and the consumer. So we're really fact-checking everything that we do in terms of where has the material come from, where's the fabric from, how's it made? Or it might be a particular war that is spawning a particular reaction to that. And so people begin to look at those major themes and it becomes the zeitgeist of the time. It's sort of essentially people will pluck that idea. It might be, you know, whether it's the environment or war or whatever, and use that. So therefore, it might be military themes on the catwalk, or it might be a number of different things. So I think people essentially kind of look at what's happening out there and formulate an idea around that. And slowly, it all begins to make sense and come together. Mm, It's so subtle. Yeah. And it even happens like on a personal level. A couple years ago, I just became like super interested in tweed. And I was, ooh, I really love tweed. And Mm -hmm. now, like 18 months later, we're coming into autumn, winter and tweed is everywhere. And I'm just like, what did I see initially that made me take that interest? But it's really interesting and you're right, it can be so subtle. And that's the thing. I mean, when you think about, you know, there's just these ideas out there and you don't think you're thinking of them, but we're being bombarded daily by images and words and things and they stay and they stick. It's kind of like speaking to our subconscious. I don't know why this reminds me of, have you seen, there's this guy He's a mentalist. He's this Israeli guy, Lior Sushad or something. Okay. And he like, he's got these crazy things with James Corden you can look up on YouTube. Uh He'll ask you to draw a picture and then he'll draw a picture and you'll turn your pictures around and you've drawn the exact same thing because he's subtly implanted into your mind what he wanted you to draw. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's kind of like that, like the universe is kind of doing that to us all. Exactly. Exactly. We think we have control, but we don't. (laughs) (laughs) That's a... A, a bleak way of looking at it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's also just like let go and let it happen, you know, like That's to it. look totally. at the positive side of it. Absolutely. So you help brands to understand their customers. How can people be getting to know their customers better? Do you think that this looking at the trends and what's coming is a really important part of that? I think, and we've discussed this recently as well, but the idea of storytelling as a brand how important that is for people to know who you are and what you stand for. So I think getting to know your customer is also about letting them in to you and your business for them to understand what you're about. It's no longer good to just be a transactional sort of business. So people want to 
understand what is it that you're into? What books are you reading? What kind of, what do you do behind the scenes and what bands do you go see? You know, that helps them form a greater image of who you are and that gets them liking your brand. And so for you to find out about them, you have to do the same. You have to be genuinely interested and concerned. It's so funny hearing you talk about it as well because that is such a shift in the way people are shopping. Mm. Like we launched Tubes four years ago and our label is vegan, but at the time we didn't even tell anyone that it was. Mm. We were like, we want it to be vegan for us, but like veganism isn't that cool right now. It's all Uh about like Hessian materials and stuff. (laughs) So we just won't tell anyone. And now we're singing it to them. We're screaming it at them. You know, we want them to know what we stand for. Yeah, we're showing them like our favorite vegan foods that we Mm -hmm. love to eat and now animals that hang out in the office. That's the thing that attracts people because they're like, that's my tribe. And at the end of the day, we're all looking for our own tribe. Mm. We want to fit in somewhere. But why was there that shift in the first place? You know, why initially was it like, oh, we guard everything and now it's like, show it all? I think trust first and foremost. You know, there's been so much stuff that's going on, not just in retail, but with marketing and everything. And, you know, people slap on labels on everything, whether that's true or not. And so, like I said, there's this idea of fear that's driving people. And so, the more open you can be and the more transparent you can be, people will respect that. Mm. Similarly, if you stuff up, if you make a mistake, if you say something you shouldn't have said, I think retracting that and apologizing or explaining it rather than disappearing and then having people kind of think you've done bad. Yes, which we've definitely been guilty of back in the day, totally. And I mean, this is the thing. We run our everyday personal relationships like that. So why should it be any different with our consumers? We have been saying that like for Tubes, we want to be doing a lot more of that. Just like showing ourselves around the office. Like this is what we're doing today. This is what we're all working on. This is what we're eating. Because we feel that that's what people really want to be seeing. We used to all pretend we were a big company when we were a tiny one. But now it's like the big companies are trying to pretend like they're the tiny ones. And that's the thing. People are voyeurs. They want to know what people get up to and what they do. Yeah. Like if you're small, embrace your small. If you're a one woman show and you're doing everything, show people that. Like that's what And show people that it's crazy. Show that people that you've got a baby in your arm while you're doing all that. Absolutely. Like when we first started, I was actually doing all of our customer service under an alias Jazz Marks. (laughs) So if anyone got an email from Jazz Marks, you now know it was Jessica. (laughs) But I feel like if that were now, I would be like, Jess Dadon, the founder. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You proudly own that. So what are some of the biggest fashion trends that we can expect to see in 2020? And also like beyond fashion, I guess. Mm -hmm. Food, you mentioned animals. Uh, One interesting one, which still makes me laugh a little bit, is um, the sexigan. The what? The sexigan. (laughs) (laughs) It's the sexy cardigan. Oh, oh. So. I love the sexigan. I'm all about it. That was what I was Wait, looking cardigan? to buy at Zara. Cardigans can be sexy? Yeah, well, apparently, I didn't know this, but Katie Holmes wore this little bralette in a knit with a matching cardigan that was unbuttoned and falling off the shoulder with a pair of jeans and some mules. And um, she looked incredibly chic and everyday casual. Okay, I'm Googling this. But that went nuts. Yeah. And so now it's all, and even Bella Hadid with the unbuttoned cardigan. Is yes, this it? Okay, one. I'm looking at it. That's the image. I remember seeing Man Repeller in one a few months ago and I was like, ooh, when winter comes around, I want to be in that. Yeah, so it's a very real thing and I kind of like it because it's a little bit 50s Mad Men secretary with a little button down, but then it's yeah. also got, and also it's been spawned because of the popularity of 90s grunge as well. So when you think of Kirk Cobain's famous long baggy cardigan which sold for a ridiculous amount of money at auction Mm. it's becoming the new knit piece I guess you could say I used to have so many vintage cardigans like that from like 15 years ago when I used to shop vintage but Jessica made me get rid of all my wardrobe 
She's a hoarder. <laughs> if I let her keep everything, we'd have a whole house full of stuff by now. Yeah, yeah. No, it's fair. I, I get it now. Like, because I'm like, what am I going to hold on to something for 15 years for until it comes back? I'll just get it the next time. Exactly. Around. No, and that's this is... the opposite <laughs> of what we should be saying. I have this rule where it's like, if one item leaves the wardrobe, I can be allowed to bring in a new item. I like uh, that, yeah. especially if you're like selling it or something yeah. like that. And so it's like, totally. someone else will keep it for the 15 years, and then in 15 years, I'll buy it back. Yeah. So the sex again is one. Another one that I thought was really funny is above keyboard dressing. Mm, That also sounds quite weird. So as you can think, I mean, as the title suggests, it's about how you look above the keyboard. So as we spend more time working from home and online, it's about what are we dressing like when it comes for work? So it's no longer, it doesn't have to be the corporate thing that we've been used to, but rather just like something that we can go to a meeting or work from home and be able to wear that throughout the day. Also, if you're on a on an online meeting or a Skype, you could be wearing your PJs in the bottom and it doesn't matter. Do you know why that's so funny? Because I recently discovered at work that like, I just want to be comfortable. So I wear trackies, mm-hmm. but then I wear a really nice shirt. And then like, it's just completely deceiving. No one even notices that totally. I'm wearing trackies. Like the trackies are nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. but they're still just like cotton and delicious. And you guys have kind of always owned, I think, that whole like casual, lightweight palazzo pant or whatever it might be. Oh, Something yeah, like, super be comfortable. Comfy. Yeah. But then on top, it's like a whole carnival. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh my God. Do you know why that doesn't <laughs> Made me laugh because I remembered when I was working at Topshop, I had to buy <laughs> clothes for my first shift, and I just found these floral pair of pants, and I was like, "Oh, these are cool! Like they're so comfy." And I think I, I might I actually I remember them. them. With a shirt, and then my manager came up to me on my first shift and was like. Wait, you can't wear <laughs> things from the pajama section <laughs> on your shift. And I was like, these are gorgeous floral pants. I had no idea they were from the pajama section. Well done. Yeah, I remember those looks. Yeah. So it's kind of like that. Anything in food at the moment? Well, I mean, obviously, veganism is on the rise and meat alternatives are obviously a big thing as well. So it's interesting to see, as you said before, how that was sort of lightly peppered through people's menus over the years. And now, you get a whole chunk of a menu with some vegan options or vegetarian options there and exclusively vegan restaurants and and so on. So, you know, that's definitely one space to look at. And I think people more and more are interested in what kind of alternatives can be out there. And food can be so delicious without it. It's so cool to hear that a massive company like WJSN is also talking about veganism. Like that makes me so happy. You can't deny it. That's the thing. I mean, it's out there. So we've been so inspired coming to the WJSN sessions and something that we always take away from them is the really innovative marketing campaigns. Mm. I remember there was this Coca-Cola campaign. Do you remember what this one was that we loved, this Coke ad? One of the first like flash mobs or something oh, like that. Yeah, maybe in like it was a bunch of people who ended up singing together like dun, dun, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like yeah, a James yeah. Bond Coca-Cola thing. Yeah, I don't remember exactly what it was, but so cool to see. For us, we love doing these like really innovative, mm-hmm. no money, guerrilla marketing sure. campaigns and we're always really inspired by what these big brands are doing. Sure. Are there any that stand out to you? This isn't necessarily a new one, but it it always stands out to me. Do do you guys remember the Cheeto Museum? No. Okay. So this was like really bizarre, but it just goes to show how an idea can really take off from a simple little thing. So it was Cheetos in the US. That 
chip, that yeah, cheesy the chip. the one that stains your fingers. Kind of like you know. um, twisties, like yeah, the take on that. Exactly. They're a big mess, but yes. People always sort of tend to see certain things in food, you know. In the past you've had people have seen the Virgin Mary's face in a piece of toast or whatever it might be. And <laughs> so people were starting to post images of things that they might see in their Cheetos. And so Cheetos was like, what a great idea. So they went ahead and built this museum slash exhibition of Cheetos that look like famous pieces of artwork or people. Oh my and so God. they created this whole hype around this exhibition, which was a legit exhibition. And That's people flocked so cool. to it. And then I think you had to find a particular Cheeto that looked like something in your packet and then you could win like a prize cash of I don't know how much money. So it was kind of nuts that people really got on board with this idea and it didn't really cost a lot to put on, but it was just building hype around this idea. And that's the thing about them that they often don't cost a lot. It's just like this really like silly or clever idea that people can like have a giggle about and like drop their jaw for. Yeah, but then there's simpler things as well. Like, do you know any little Michaela? No. Mm -mm. So she's a digital avatar. So she's a model. She's been given a personality. She's oh, been developed. Oh, yeah, maybe on Insta I've seen her. A lot of people can't tell that she's actually creepy. not human, but she does kind of look human. She's got cute little freckles and everything. And she's now fronting a lot of campaigns for a lot of brands. So, you know, they hire her, they put a digital collection on her and they use her as a campaign for the latest, you know, spring summer collection. What an insane concept. I know. And people are like, oh, she's really cute. She's really pretty. It's like, she doesn't exist. Yeah. yeah. We hire models for our campaigns and like sometimes it's amazing, sometimes it goes terribly. Like imagine yeah. if we could just rely on tech yeah. for that. <laughs> I remember seeing something about like a digital pop star as well at a WGSN yeah. conference. Yep. Yep. And it's just so cool because I feel like it's such a reminder that you can really like drop the box and just think beyond it. Totally. And you can come up with anything. Especially with the digital realm now. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with DJ Marshmallow. I don't even know who he was, but I found oh, out. Yeah. <laughs> but he essentially did a gig in Fortnite, the computer game. So he did a two-hour gig and charged tickets for it. So every player basically purchased their ticket online and attended this live gig. Stop. The billboards were campaigns from other brands. So people are beginning to advertise outside of the physical realm, which is interesting. That's so crazy. What an insane concept. (laughs) We also remember one year we came to a WGSN summit and you guys were talking about smartwatches and the idea that you would be able to like pay with your watch and stuff like that. And it was such a foreign concept to us. Like we couldn't even imagine what it would look like. Yeah. Like I remember sitting there like, no way that couldn't happen. And then when we realized it now, we're like, oh, the future is here. Yeah. At the time you couldn't even pay on your phone. So the idea that you could pay on your watch was just a whole other level of crazy. Can you give us any insight into what we'll be seeing in a few years like that? Any like trends that are coming up? Already we're starting to see little sprinklings of kind of what I was just saying before, this idea of the digital realm. And so what we're seeing is a lot of digital collections being built where the garment doesn't actually exist in reality, but designers are creating these one-off pieces that then if you want to purchase, you can purchase online. And then you send in your favorite photo of yourself and they'll apply it digitally and you can post it all over social media. Whoa. Oh, I thought you were (laughs) going to say, and then they make it. So it never exists. No, no. And this is the thing. I mean, it also speaks to sustainability. (laughs) You know, there's not a lot of wastage in that sense. Similarly, we're seeing collections where, you know, you can hold your phone over a T-shirt that might be just a plain white T-shirt. But once you hold your phone over, the, the print that's there comes to life. 
So a lot of AI and VR kind of elements coming into play, as well as one that freaked me out was the idea of beauty microbots. So these tiny little injectable robots that you inject into you that will go and deliver vitamins and things to your skin and to different body parts. So you kind of got little minions wandering around your body, like just yeah, doing the work. Yeah, they turn against you and then you've got like little <laughs> devils. <laughs> so scary. So this is, I mean, this is the future and there's a lot of strange things out there like that. One of my personal favorites was this idea of digital fragrance. So you know how we can send each other, you know, GIFs and and audio files and so on. The speculation around the next few years, we'll be able to send each other fragrance files. So if you want to capture, say, the scent of Tuscany while you're there or (gasps) in a cooking class and you want to send that to, you know, your partner or whatever it might be, they can receive that file and essentially captures data and builds that scent for you. Oh, my God. I mean, that's still being developed and there's been, you know, there was a student in the UK who developed an iPod that could capture scent as well. So you could collect scents and gather them like you would with music or imagery. But I think that's probably a few years off still. That's crazy. I'm so excited to listen back to this episode in a few (laughs) years and be like, yeah, whatever. Scent phones, (laughs) obviously. (laughs) That's crazy. Will you even be listening to this podcast or will you be smelling it? Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Amazing. Well, this has been so incredible, Yanni. And we did want to finish off because the theme of the festival this year is fashion's wonderland. So Uh we wanted to ask you if you could create Yanni's wonderland, where Mm. would it be? Who would be there with you? And what would you be doing? (laughs) Oh, that is quite the question. (laughs) I don't even know where to begin because it's like, I feel like I'll be exposing myself. (laughs) But I, I like traveling and I'd love to go to Morocco at the mm. moment. So I think it would take place in Morocco. Our dad's from Morocco. So maybe you're picking oh. up on that vibe. Mm. Okay. <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> but it would be in Morocco. I think it would be, it would involve a lunch or a dinner with Marina Abramovich, mm. who I have a big, big fan of, and I would like to pick her brain. And it would involve a lot of music, a lot of food. And just a lot of dancing. Just oh, I think, that of, sounds so fun. Yeah. Can we come to your wonderland? Yes, please. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really cool. I'd love to be that. And if people are interested in hearing more about you, where can they find you? So obviously we have our WGSN platform. So WGSN.com where you can sort of, if you wanted to subscribe, you can put in an inquiry. Or alternatively, we also have our insider blog, which has lots of free tidbits around different things that like we've spoken about today, whether it's technology, fashion, the consumer mindset in the market. Um, And we also have Tumblr coming up and Instagram and so on. So yeah, there's heaps of different resources, YouTube channels, etc. So cool. Thank you so much, Yanni. Thank you guys. It's been a delight. Oh, it's been amazing. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. If you did like today's episode, please share it with your friends. Help us get the word out. You can rate us five stars share a photo of you listening to the episode on Instagram with us or come along and join our Facebook group, How to Live the Podcast, where we continue the conversation. If you do want to come and hear an episode live, we'll be doing an episode from the VAMP VIP Lounge this Saturday with the incredible Catherine Wills. We've left a link in the show notes where you can go to buy tickets. We would love to see you there. And tomorrow morning, we have an incredible episode planned for you with the fashion editor of the Australian newspaper. It is Glynis Trail-Nash. We are so excited to get to chat to her. And that will be in your podcast app 
When You Wake Up Tomorrow Australia time. Until then, have a lovely evening and stay fashionable. Listener.